Good morning. Glad that you're not like the wimps that stayed home. You came and you braved this Minnesota weather that we brought to you, sort of. When we left last week, it was minus 17 and the wind chill of minus 39. And you guys are complaining. Come on. A uh, big thank you from Sherry and I and our family. Um, some of you may not know, but the church sent flowers for my father-in-law, Sherry's father's funeral. And it's the first thing we saw when we came to the church. And we wondered, well, who, where did this uh, blossom, where did these, picture, these pictures, these flowers come from? And we read the tag and it said, our church family in Havertown, and that was very much appreciated. Um, one note that I wanted to make is I wanted to thank Phil Gehrman for a good leading of discussion and presentation in the ABF as it concerned vision. And uh, if you didn't make it, we invite you to the other five or six discussions in this subject that will take place in the preceding weeks uh, during adult ABF. And it was a good discussion, good contributions. Well, we're beginning a short series during this time of prayer and fasting. And this morning, examining our attitudes and actions. And the old year has gone, the new year has begun. And I can't think of a better way to begin this new year than with 40 days of fasting and prayer. I received the following email on Tuesday. Name will remain um, unspoken. This individual sent this note. I woke up this morning at 5 a.m. for the first time maybe ever and spent an hour singing, praying, reading, and more praying. I honestly wept this morning realizing that I've spent years as a believer depriving myself of God. And it's only been one day. What an encouragement to receive that note. And I'd be interested in hearing of other experiences. It would, I won't share your name, it will be in confidence. But if God is speaking to you in a, a new, fresh way, this has been a good experience for you or a bad experience. Um, I'd like to hear from you. Before leaving Minnesota last month, I directed our attention to Hebrews chapter 12, 1 through 2, and I'd like to use that as a springboard for where we're headed this morning. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with confidence the race God has set before us, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. And we had mentioned a few weeks ago that the writer of Hebrews uses the analogy of a race to depict the believer's life of faithful living. In the grandstands are all the faithful disciples who have run before us, encouraging us to run strong. Before us is the track, one prepared beforehand by God, 
And at the end is the finish line where Jesus is standing, waiting to congratulate all who cross it. What prevents us from reaching the finish line strong? The author tells us that it is weight and sin. Sin is obvious to all. A life of faith must be lived in obedience to God's word. But what about the weight? What that, the weight that slows us down? Because this weight is not as obvious. It can often interfere with reaching the finish line. The image is of a runner taking off his warm-up clothes, so he's left only with his running attire. By doing so, he has nothing to encumber him during the race. The weight in our life is not necessarily sin. Rather, it is anything that keeps us from running the race that's set before us. Anything that keeps us from achieving all that God wants us to do in and through our life and ultimately in and through our church. And that weight normally comes in the form of good things that become a distraction to our spiritual growth. And these are the things that we must lay down so that we may run unencumbered in the race of life. And that's where we ended before we left um, for Minnesota, not knowing that we would uh, run into some things that we hadn't necessarily planned. God had a plan for us, a path for us that we hadn't yet chosen, uh, but God blessed us in taking Sherry's father home to be with him. <clears throat> now this morning, the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. Test yourselves. Surely you know that Jesus Christ is among you. If not, you have failed the test of genuine faith. Similarly, Paul writes, concerning preparation for the Lord's Supper, which we will take in a few minutes. Again, he uses the same word. Examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. In these two verses, the Apostle Paul uses two Greek words, piezo and dokimazo, which translated in the English are, are the words examine, test, try, prove. The message paraphrase says, test yourself to make sure you are solid in the faith. Don't drift along taking everything for granted. Give yourself regular checkups that Jesus Christ is in you. Test it out. The Life Application Bible has a note on this passage. It says the Corinthians were called to examine and test themselves to see if they were really Christians. Just as we get physical checkups, Paul urges us to give ourselves spiritual checkups. We should look for a growing awareness of Christ's presence and power in our lives. Then we will know if we are true Christians or merely imposters. If we're not actively seeking to grow closer to God, we are drawing farther away from him. An important aspect of our 40 days of fasting and prayer is to give ourselves a personal and also a corporate checkup. In essence, to examine, to test, to try, 
prove our faith. Think of it as entering the doctor's office, stepping on the scale, measuring our height, taking our blood pressure and temperature, looking at the chart of previous visits, answering a myriad of questions. It's called the physical examination. During this 40 days of fasting and prayer, we are suggesting that each of us take a spiritual examination, no less thorough than a physical examination. And we're going to begin by examining our attitudes and our actions. We've entered the great physician's office, and he has several tests that he wants us to take. This examination questionnaire was given to you when you entered this morning. Um, if you didn't get one, extra copies are available at the doors when you leave. This week we are specifically again meeting with the great physician to determine our attitude and actions. Uh, I think that the great physician is going to ask some very specific questions seeking to find out what our problem may be. Um, he's going to ask a series of 12 questions this morning and it would be best if we responded honestly to him. You know, you can go to the doctor and try to figure out what he wants to hear, but we're not interested in that. We're going to assume that the great physician knows more than we do. Um, and uh, so we want to be honest with the questions he asks. This is not rocket science this morning. The questions that I have to ask are the questions right in front of you. Um, but I think it's important for us not only to address them this morning, but for the coming week as you are engaged in your fasting and prayer. Question number one, anger. Have I lost my temper? become agitated and allowed anger to fester, causing strife. We're talking about the area of anger management. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 22 says, an angry person starts fights. A hot-tempered person commits all kinds of sin. All of us, you know, anger in itself is not, is not necessarily bad. It, it's an emotion, it's, it's something that God has given us, um, but it's anger that is not processed, um, anger out of control. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, and says, don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Don't allow anger to fester. Is this a problem that you have? Is it a problem that I have? I when, when Sherry and I first went to Haiti, it wasn't long before um, the missionary that I was working with took me underneath a palm tree and said, Dave, I, I've discerned that you have an anger management problem. That's the first time that I've ever been, that, that's ever been said to me. And it caused me to do some great introspection. I justified it because I thought that there were good reasons. My wife was being mistreated and I was standing in her defense. But I had to ask the question, did I have an anger management problem? Was it festering? Was it separating my life from my cohort, my wife, um, 
most of all, um, Jesus Christ. Question number two, so quite a bit related to it, is in the area of bitterness. Have I allowed a harshness and bitterness to creep into my heart? Again, some of these questions are so personal and you don't want to answer them. Um, you can justify, but be, be, be honest. Do you have a bitterness problem? Have you allowed a harshness and bitterness to creep into your heart? Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. He's kind of pointed. He says, Get rid of it all. There's nothing good about bitterness. Bitterness is sour. Hebrews 12, 15. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. And, he, and the writer of Hebrews gets very personal. He says, watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. In my years of being a pastor, I have counseled numerous people um, who have the root of bitterness. And it is so acidic. It is so divisive. something that we, we need to deal with. Anger, bitterness. Question three, not submitting. Have I refused to honor my brothers and sisters or refused to follow those in authority over me? Paul says in Romans 8, 7, for the sinful nature is always hostile to God. Isn't that interesting? The sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws and it never will. And all of us have to deal with a sinful nature because we were born with a sinful nature. It's interesting that the, Paul says that that sinful nature is always hostile to God. Paul says in Ephesians 5.21, which is in the context of the marriage relationship, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I think it's interesting that, that husbands and wives, men and women, always get into this um, argument about who's supposed to submit to whom and, and guys say that the wives are supposed to submit to their husbands but it's interesting in verse 21 before he ever talks about who's to submit to whom he says submit to one another there is a submission to one another and not only in the marriage relationship but also in the church family question four selfish ambition have I been looking out for my own interests first? Ouch. I think most of us at one point could put a check mark on that one. Philippians 2.3 says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourself. Wow. To think of other people as better than myself. You know, we can twist that and have low self-esteem by thinking everybody's better than us. That's not what this is talking about here. It's talking about impressing ourselves, pride. James 3.16, for wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. Let me read that one again. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, <clears throat> I underlined that, 
there you will find disorder and every kind of evil. Which leads into question five, something very similar, and that's the area of pride. Have I made myself and my position or my reputation the object and subject of the issue rather than the lordship of Jesus Christ? Three verses from Proverbs. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, dealt with the subject of pride. He writes concerning pride. In chapter 11, verse 2, he said, Pride leads to disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. Pride leads to conflict. Those who take advice are wise. Pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before a fall. I've seen some great men and women of God go down the spiritual tubes because of the subject of pride. It, became, it can become such a divisive and acidic destructor of the Christian walk and life. Similar to that is question six, malice. Have I harbored ill will and or a desire to injure those against me? Um, Paul writes in Colossians 3.8, but now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Peter writes, so get rid of all evil behavior. Be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. One of the things that we want to see happen and our prayer for, to happen during the 40 days of fasting and prayer in the sacred assembly is for numerous opportunities for reconciliation. Reconciliation with um, leaders, former pastors, with one another, but there are things that stand in the way of reconciliation. One of those is, is the whole subject of malice. We are really, we really get burned and we're upset because the way we were treated, and we just haven't gotten over that. And um, my prayer, if I have an overarching prayer during this time of 40 days of fasting and prayer leading into the sacred assembly is that we would be able to see over and over again reconciliation taking place between brothers and sisters in Christ at Grace Chapel. I've seen it happen in other churches where we've been interim pastor and in a church where I was the, the senior pastor. And it's, a, it's an amazing thing when brothers and sisters can come before the throne of God and seek to get forgive and love one another. Another thing that hinders that is question seven, divisiveness. Have I been contentious, promoting controversy rather than peace? Titus chapter three, verse 10. If people are causing divisions among you, give a first and second warning, and after that have nothing more to do with them. Which is interesting if it's us who are the root of the divisiveness and bitterness. 
1 Timothy 1.4, don't let them waste their time in endless discussion of myths and spiritual pedigrees. These things only lead to meaningless speculations which don't help people live the life of faith in God. And question eight, we are going to avoid because I put a check there. Um, hi, sweetie. I'm glad that I have this. Stubbornness. Have I resisted change or correction and stood firm in my position? How many of you would put down stubbornness? You don't have, this is personal. You don't have to raise your hand. But, but I caught you. <laughs> yeah, I inherited it. Have I resisted change or correction and stood firm on my positions? David writes in Psalm 81, So I let them follow their own stubborn desires, living according to their own ideas. Proverbs 29, Whoever stubbornly refuses to accept criticism will suddenly be destroyed beyond recovery. Wow. That's powerful words. Whoever stubbornly refuses to accept criticism will suddenly be destroyed beyond recovery. Leads us to question nine on forgiving. Have I been slow to forgive or have I stated that I have forgiven while holding on to anger and hurt? Have I failed to forgive others as Christ has forgiven me? I think that when a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ, really understands how much they've been forgiven by Jesus Christ, it has to, it has to have an impact upon how we forgive one another. Colossians 3.13, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive another, anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. So it would be a good idea for you to forgive others. No, the text is, so you must forgive others. Matthew 18, then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? And you know the story of the unforgiving servant. Question 10, on reconciling. Have I refused to meet with a brother or sister to be reconciled, claiming I'm too hurt and do not trust the person, effectively choosing not to be reconciled? You know, it takes two to tango, um, I, gu I guess. Um, it takes two for reconciliation to take place and if, if, if it's important for us as individuals individually and corporately as the body of Christ to be the one that seeks reconciliation and um, so that we've done all our part 
Mark chapter 9, verse 50 says, Salt is good for seasoning, but if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? You must have the qualities of salt among yourselves and live in peace with each other. Romans 12, 18, do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Question 11, seems a little bit out of context, but I'm convinced it's not. Sexual impurity. Have I engaged in sexual fantasies, impure thought life, or behavior such as adultery, pornography, or sexual immorality? The statistics of men particularly who engaged in the pornography is staggering. Even it's not much different in the church as it is in the world. Colossians chapter 3 verse 5 says, So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. And in Ephesians 5, 3, let there be no sexual immorality or impurity or greed among you. Such things have no place among God's people. And the final question on our spiritual examination is misuse of authority. Have I used power, manipulation, or control to coerce, coerce people or gain advantage. Mark chapter 10, verse 42. So Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. Peter writes, care for the flock of God that, that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. For all of us that are in any kind of leadership here at Grace Chapel, that verse ought to be burned into um, our forehead. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. When I visited the, the neurologist last fall, he took me across the hall from his office and gave me a test. And he asked me to follow the fingers and going from nose to nose to walk on the straight line um, with my heels to walk back on my toes. And um, I, I thought I aced the test. Um, I don't ace many tests, but I, I did this one, I was sure. And then he took me across to his office and said, I think you have Parkinson's disease. And I, I thought I had aced the test. From my perspective, I was okay. Let's go home, send the bill. Um, how could he, because I, I just didn't understand because it was my perspective that I was presenting, not his. And uh, from my perspective, I was okay. I, I said, I think I want a second opinion. And that we need a little humor here. That reminds me of the guy that went to the psychiatrist. And the psychiatrist gave him a test and said, I, I think you're going crazy. And the guy says, well, I demand a second opinion. He says, okay, you're ugly too.
we decided to laugh at my Parkinson's disease, and we're having a good time doing it. Um, but during this 40 days of fasting and prayer, we are undergoing a spiritual examination by the great physician. Now hear this. Our perspective really doesn't matter. What matters is the great physician's perspective. And we don't need a second opinion on his perspective. I want to read a very familiar passage of scripture and um, to conclude with before we engage in celebrating the Lord's Supper. And it's Matthew 25. You, most of you, I'm sure, already know where we're headed on this, but it has to do with perspective. Matthew 25, starting with verse 31, and it's on the screen. But when the Son of Man comes in all his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne, and all the nations will be gathered in his presence, and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and he will place the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous ones will say, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you? or thirsty and gave you something to drink, or a stranger and show you hospitality, or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Then the king will turn to those on the left and say, away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry, and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty, and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger, and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked, and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison, and you didn't visit me. Then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and help not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth, when you refused to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. It's so terribly important that during this time of fasting and prayer leading into a spiritual assembly, sacred assembly, is that we continually go before the throne of God and get his perspective on our life. It's not so much during this time of telling God anything. He already knows. What's so very important during this time and any time is that we listen for the voice of God. What is he trying to say to us? What's he trying to say to me? To take that spiritual examination and get God's perspective on our life. Are we sick? Are we dying?
thriving. It's not our perspective that we're interested in, but to listen to the questions that he's asking us and to seek his face and his understanding of our lives. Next week, we're going to continue the spiritual examination and we're going to examine our hearts and our speech. But right now, we're going to take the Lord's Supper and I'm going to ask the men to come forward to distribute the bread and the cup. Father.